This podcast is more than just about video games. It's about people. We wanted to take this moment to state that we stand with Ukraine, and our hearts and support go out to everyone who has been affected by the recent events. Our company, Triple Point, has made a $5,000 donation to Doctors Without Borders as a way to support those in need. There are countless companies and individuals who have done what they can to support Ukraine and those within the country. If you'd like further information on what you can do to help, we have included a link to a website on our Twitter page that provides donation links for those wanting to fund medical supplies, resources for the military, support for children affected by the war, and the journalists reporting on the conflict. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Real-Time Strategy, a bi-weekly podcast looking at the gaming industry through the lens of public relations. I'm one of your hosts, Caitlin Redwing, joined by my co-host, Sam Mosier, and a guest you all know and love, Brad Ramon. How are you both doing? Great. It's great to have all three of us back on the pod together. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's always a fun time. Always a fun time. <laughs> Cool. So this week, we will be kicking our feet up and chatting about the already long list of 2022 games, including Elden Ring, Horizon <laughs> Forbidden West, and more. Brad just put his head in his hands because it is a long list. It is a and long list. There is not enough time in the year to play all the games that have come out in just the first couple months. Um before we dive into our main topic, one quick disclaimer, Triple Point works with many gaming companies that may come up on this show, including Blizzard, the Pokemon Company, Gearbox, and more. Visit triplepointpr.com for our full client roster. So, speaking of 2022 games, uh, Brad, what have you been playing this year? What do you want to get to that's come out and you just don't have time? Yeah, so far, Caitlin, I... Um... I've been playing a couple games that I I bought uh, over the holidays. I love a good Steam sale, so <laughs> I um, started the last campfire. It's been on my list for a while, and then uh, like many others, I am in the um, frantic rush to buy 3DS games. And Ugh. I don't have a Wii U, but oh. at least 3DS games before the the eShop stops taking credit cards because the gift card thing is going to be such a pain in my butt. So. I, I picked up Pushmo and Dylan's Rolling Western, and I'm looking at a couple others. So I'm, 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 I'm toying around with those a little bit. Those are games that I've, I've always thought about. Oh, maybe I'll get that someday. And now I kind of have mm -hmm. to, or I'm not going to be able to anymore. So it's been, it's been fun. I'm kind of like a puzzle game. Kid, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I love it. Are you not an emulator person? I, I can't say that I haven't emulated games, but <laughs> I I just love the DS and 3DS experience. And yeah. honestly, I don't think that the dual screen works well in emulation. Mm -hmm. Like I, I've I've just tried it to see what it's like, and it's just not it's just not worth it. So yeah, I feel yeah. It's tough with the 3DS eShop shutting down because it, yeah, it not only means that it had a pretty nice array of virtual console titles especially like gba and 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 etc but yeah the small but beautiful collection of 3ds exclusive indie games it'll be a shame to see potentially get lost because like you said it's not easy to like port them it was it kind of reminds me of the whole skyward sword debacles like how do we even make this work on a console that isn't the wii but i think that's even more tricky for a thing that had two screens one of which was a touch screen one of which wasn't yeah absolutely yeah well they i think they killed it with skyward sword i haven't finished it but i was very impressed with 
like how it ran on the Switch. Yeah, me too. I guess never count out Nintendo. That when Nintendo wants you, they find a way. They do, <laughs> except for when it comes to Twilight Princess. Oh my gosh, yeah. they refuse to find any a way. day now, right? <laughs> yeah, or Mother Three. Oh, I'm, oh. I'm, that's the I, real. I've been singing one. that song for years. So. <laughs> Look, if we keep saying it, we will manifest it, and it will happen. That is, I have to believe in it. That we'll get those games eventually. Yeah, didn't some celeb shout it out? I forget who that was. I don't know. They just know. they just tweeted like release Mother Three in the US and that was it. Oh but can't remember who this it was. Is gonna bother I was just me. like wow. Oh Terry Crews maybe? I, I, I hope it was Terry, Terry Crews. I really I really think it was, yeah. What if that was like a really sneaky PR move and they're like, let's get a celebrity to tweet it out and then it'll happen. Oh here we go. Yeah, Terry Crews uh, tweeted localized mother three, all caps, exclamation point, last April. We still have nothing. Um. <laughs> man if even terry cruz can't do it <laughs> no one can no one can caitlin what have you been playing um so many games <laughs> <laughs> that i just keep jumping from one to the other instead of like just finishing one um i bought elden ring and horizon forbidden west on the same day Ooh, like a fool <laughs> and i've been trying to play both of those um, I, I really like them both. I love Elden Ring though. I'm like, I'm not even that far. I started as a bandit and it was like really hard in the beginning because you have like no armor and you start with what I say is a butter knife and a dinner plate. Um, <laughs> but I've been really, I've enjoyed it and I've got, my brother has been into it as well. So I kind of have just been watching him play it and that has been like almost as enjoyable as playing it myself. Um, so, so yeah. When it comes to Elden Ring, I am a Souls novice. Uh, one time in college, two of my best friends uh, took me up to their apartment at like 11 p.m. and they walked me through the first two hours of Dark Souls, and it was great. Yeah, that was a very special night. That was like the first time we'd ever hung out too. So, <laughs> Dark Souls was foundational on friendship. But much to their disappointment, I never picked up the game myself. Um, however, Elden Ring, I, uh, largely because of the reviews, but also just, you know, the Souls games have so much acclaim. I have wanted to give them a shot. What is your history with the Souls games? Is this your first one? And how are you finding it given your experience, whatever it is? Great question. Um, this is my first official Souls game. So just like you, I, I was like seeing someone in college and he, I kid you not, every morning he would wake up and play Dark Souls, like two or three. I can't remember which one it was. And I thought it was crazy. <laughs> That's quite the morning routine. <laughs> like literally before even coffee. Um, and so I tried it. I was like, sure, I'll give it a shot. Like I love video games, but I had just never really gotten into it. And I won't say I loved it. I, I found it pretty like brutalizing of just like dying repeatedly and I didn't feel like I can't remember which one it was but I couldn't really just like leave where I was and go do something else and I think that was really what held me back from enjoying it so I wasn't sure if I was going to pick up Elden Ring however like <laughs> the trailer was so interesting and all the lore that I like had been hearing about and I'm such a big like fantasy person that I just I wanted to know more about Elden Ring, I guess, and 
the reviews were really good and I was like why not I'll give it a shot and turns out I love it and I think that is in large part due to the open world of the game that if you come across something you're like I just can't beat this boss which there are a lot of them in the beginning like depending on your class you just it's super hard but you can just leave you can go anywhere else in the game and just kind of like find a new cave to explore um or just like I don't know go look at eagles <laughs> like it's just very <laughs> there's just so much to go and do um that has just been an, a nice change of pace when something's too hard you go and try something else and eventually you find something you can beat and you get better and you can upgrade your weapons and then you go back to the thing that you couldn't beat before and suddenly like it's easier and you could beat it and you have this like sense of relief and like proudness in yourself of beating something you couldn't beat before so I think it's done a really good job of introducing the Souls games to people who haven't played it or they didn't like Souls games previously because they were brutal not to say it's not brutal but it's more forgiving I love that that sounds very promising for me as someone who you know finds them very challenging you named one of the things I find perhaps maybe like a little difficult about getting into the Souls games is that they they present these seemingly insurmountable obstacles that you have because the previous games were linear, you had to keep running them back over and over again just to proceed. Mm -hmm. But what's great about the Elden Ring open world is you can tackle, you know, if you get something tough, just go somewhere else and try to come back yeah. later. Um, the other obstacle or thing that keeps me from really falling in love with past Souls games are the checkpoints are pretty pretty rough. Sometimes you'll lose to a boss and you'll have to run back the last 10 minutes just to get back to the boss. How, how are the checkpoints in Elden Ring? I haven't... There, I think there's a lot of them. That's um, great. <laughs> yeah, there's... I, I keep calling them campfires, but they're not campfires. It's just like a little candle. <laughs> um, the... Shoot, oh, bonfires? That's a, souls, no, that's a Dark Souls thing. Yes, there is... It's a... People are going to be like screaming, like, oh my God, how have you forgotten? Great. Sights of Grace, something like that. Um, you can, when you die, you can revive there or at these other, like, if there's another statue type thing nearby. Um, apologies that I can't remember the name of anything in this game. But so sometimes you have options on where you want to revive. And there's just, there's so many of them that I really haven't found myself resetting too far away. Um, I've also found like a lot of the bosses, you, some of them you can't leave, but some of them you can, like, you can kind of go around some of them and <laughs> keep exploring world beyond them, which is helpful because I have found myself doing that. I am not a masochist, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. There is something about like dying is part of the process. And once you kind of get used to like, being okay with dying and even sometimes losing like the souls that you've gained because you can gain more like it's just there's never any there's always souls to be reaped I guess like it's just no setback is too huge of a setback it's really easy to regain what you've lost in that game um so yeah 
I don't know. I definitely recommend it to anybody who is a fan of Souls games or not, or just has no idea if you are. I think it's worth a shot. Brad, do you have any Soulsborn history? Nope. I um, Historically, I'm the guy who plays games on easy mode, even <laughs> if they're not known to be difficult, because I, I'm like, I want to enjoy it, but now I'm at a point where I... I like a challenge, right? Like I, I wanna, mm-hmm. I wanna play a game on normal or hard difficulty, just because I feel like I'm gonna enjoy it more at this point in my in my life in my gaming career. Um, but I've never played a Souls game or a Souls like game, and I really might buy Elden Ring. It looks it <laughs> looks so good, and I keep hearing just fantastic things about it, and not just mm-hmm. like you know reviews from people who already like Souls games, but you know, a lot of folks who this is their first time jumping in and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it sounds still like a fantastic, difficult, but fun game. Yeah. Uh, a recommendation. Cause I'm also one who likes to play a game like on normal mode mm-hmm. kind of the first time. Um, and then like a second playthrough, I go like to the next difficulty. Like I want my first playthrough kind of normal. There are classes in Elden Ring that are better in the beginning, which I'm actually contemplating restarting as either a Vagabond or Samurai, um, just because they you've got armor in the beginning and a better sword, whereas like I started as a bandit and I'm like nothing. And like I said, the butter knife and dinner plate <laughs> is not an exaggeration. That's what I have to start with. Um, and I know like that class is better later on but you know i i'm like you brad like i kind of want to ease into things Mm -hmm. so i'm probably going to restart with a different class and i'm okay with redoing the things that i've already done because it's just so much fun that's good to know another elden ring thing i've heard about i want to hear your experience with caitlin is i i know the game is just filled uh top to bottom with caverns and catacombs and caves and you know other mysterious things that you might fall into i've heard very funny stories from podcasts and twitch streamers about uh you know stumbling upon something that's just way too high level and and getting wrecked uh in these you know in these like side areas has any of that happened to you yeah i've i've lost a lot of progress because I fell into one of the like literally fell down a shaft um and the guards are really hard in some areas which speaking with my brother who's played other souls games he says they're harder than they have been in any other game and they're just like they're not a boss they're just like guards walking around and sometimes they kick your ass um and yeah they're that happens and that's normally at my own fault of like I don't, the game is not linear, but there is like a path you kind of can take and I don't follow that. (laughs) I am very much like, Ooh, I see something in the distance. It kind of, is that an old man on a cliff? What is that? It's like a statue. And I'm like, let me go find that. And then it's like pointing in a direction and I'm like, okay, I'm going to follow where it's pointing because it means something and it takes me to a cave. And then that cave is like, yeah, a little bit maybe past where where I should be, but that I'm determined to beat it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Have an you experience. and your brother messed with co-op at all? No, we are playing on like just the same 
system, mm-hmm. just like our PlayStation. I have multiplayer set, so like I can use, I can summon somebody. Um, I might play with Andrew, our coworker, because he is a huge Souls fan and <laughs> is down to play multiplayer. So we might connect and do something like that. I definitely would recommend it. You can do it with people you know, or you can just do it like with anybody who also has like the multiplayer set up and is willing to kind of help out it's it makes fighting some of those difficult bosses a lot easier and more fun when you have someone to do it with i love it and i love the little tips people leave for each other (laughs) yeah Yeah. they've kind of gotten a little out of hand yeah (laughs) and i feel like this is probably what happened in other souls games where it's a lot of treasure chest ahead at the edge of a cliff and then you see a bunch of red blood stains around and you're like a lot of people died here i i don't think this is true um or just the silly like is this dog in front of a a donkey and you're like no it's not a dog Yeah, there's definitely. I feel like you definitely need like some sort of dark sense of humor to really get the most out of the Souls games. Yeah, I saw somebody uh, a clip on Twitter of somebody fighting a boss in the open world, and they were riding around on their horse, which, by the way, can double jump in this game, which is amazing. Yes. I hope every game has double jumping horses from now on. Uh, but they were like the boss was I would I assume probably one hit away. Uh, the health bar was so low. And he was, he was doing a loop around in the field and somebody out in the field had a torch and he grazed up against the person with the torch <laughs> and it killed him. <laughs> and so he didn't beat the boss. So it's just like, no. you just have to laugh in situations like that. Oh no. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that has happened. I, one of the, like the first big bosses, I just like, I can't remember what pushed me off. I, I don't even remember. He was so close to death and maybe I just like took one step backwards and like fell off a cliff and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Like <laughs> small things like that it crushes your soul, but your dark funny. soul, my dark soul. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's fitting. Um, but yeah, I, I've really been leaning towards that. And when I need a break break, that's kind of when I've been jumping into horizon forbidden West, which are either of you playing that game? I have fired it up last night for the first time. Okay. It's fun. I I, I don't I didn't finish Horizon Zero Dawn. So I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest fan, but for an open world game, I guess it's just it's fun, enjoyable. Uh we'll see I if know, I finish this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zero Dawn's a long game. Uh I beat it, it and even I will tell you like I don't like I I mean I did a lot of the side quests, but I think I ended up putting like 35 hours into it, which is mm-hmm. longer than I play almost any game. Uh I will say, I mean, both games especially Forbidden West gorgeous. Are you playing on oh, PS4 yeah. or PS5? PS5. And I I've even heard like I I got to give props to gorilla and sony for seemingly bucking a lot of the expectations for how this cross-gen port would play out Mm -hmm. um when you know you look at forbidden west and you know you see it in the ps5 reveal and then you find out later it's coming out to ps4 you're like woof like how's this gonna go and seemingly they really optimized it to work on all you know even on your base ps4 so Mm -hmm. um but on the ps5 just absolutely gorgeous yeah i I love it, and I oh, we didn't even have this as a topic, but 
I feel like it's there's something to compare between like Horizon Forbidden West or Zero Dawn or whatever and Elden Ring which both are like kind of massive open world games but very different like Horizon Forbidden West what happens with me is I want to do all the side quests and like there's all these markers on the map that are question marks and I'm like well what is like what's that I want to go and find it and so I put so many hours into a game that at some point it's like I kind of get exhausted and I've barely even breached the story because I've been doing like all this side stuff um Elden Ring there's like nothing on the map so like you don't have this sense of like I need to go here because you don't actually know if something's there and it's just I don't know it feels more natural to just kind of stumble upon things instead of having maybe it's just like my need to like kind of like a checklist like check everything off if you don't have that checklist then you don't do it and that's okay yeah, we're at this interesting point, and I feel bad for Horizon because I know this is an overdone like joke by now, but it always releases within a month of a <laughs> groundbreaking open world title. But it's fitting because Horizon, so I'm referring to Horizon Zero Dawn versus a few weeks later, Breath of the Wild, mm -hmm. uh, and now Forbidden West versus Elden Ring. They both, Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring to my understanding, I've only played Breath of the Wild, um, but what I've heard from Elden Ring seems like both of those games fit into what I hope we find a term for, like whether it's an explorate exploration open world or an adventure open world versus uh, maybe an action open world or a less kind yeah. task manager open world. Uh, you know, you think of a lot of the Ubisoft titles, which I love um, and are great for putting on a podcast and clearing out the map. But that's so different than the type of experience you get with Breath of the Wild or what I've heard from Elden Ring, which is about less about opening your map and just what can I do right next to me right now and, and get ever so closer to the 100% completion. Um, Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring are more about go wherever and find for yourself what you want to do. Um, so I hope we get to a point where like, I don't know, there's easy ways to talk about these games, you know, in the way that we've coined Metroidvanias and everything. Do you yeah. all kind of notice this trend as well? Yeah, that's, and I didn't even think about that, but you're exactly right. And I wish I had terminology to use to explain them because I'm like, they're both great in different ways. And for me right now, I'm leaning towards the Elden Ring kind of way. Um, but other people love Horizon Forbidden West and that kind of open world. Like, they are very different things, even though they're in open world games. And I just keep calling them open world, but they're different. <laughs> it is cool that we're in this place that, I mean, we are so far removed from GTA 3, but in this place <laughs> that I feel like, you know, open world is almost the dominant form of a lot of AAA games, um, that it can mean so many different things these days. It doesn't just have to mean... Uh, just a playground where you clear fortresses and take on story missions if you want. Yeah. But on that note, that's why I'm playing Forbidden West first, and then I'll okay. get to Elden Ring later. Also, because I've heard, how's the how did Elden Ring perform on your PS5? I've heard there's some like frame rate issues. I haven't had that. Um, okay. they did just put out the servers like went down a few days ago for like maintenance, and they put out I think another. Did they put out a patch? already so i didn't notice any frame rate 
problems. Were the frame rates on the PlayStation or was it PC? I've heard that, admittedly, I've heard the PC is a little in worse shape, uh, yeah. the PC version, than the PS5 version. But yeah, so I, I'm planning on waiting a bit on Elden Ring, A, for that reason, but also B, because I feel like it's easier to do the more hand-holdy, checklisty open world game and then do the big exploration adventure experience versus the other way around because maybe mm -hmm. I'll go back to Forbidden West after Elden Ring and be like, oh, this this doesn't seem as special. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're special in their own ways. Yeah. And yeah. Horizon Forbidden West, I... This is such a small thing, but it kind of drives me crazy. Still has that crazy hair mechanic <laughs> where, like, Aloy has, like, Medusa hair. And it just, it's so weird to see on my screen. It distracts me every time. And I, because that was like that in Horizon Zero Dawn. And I was like, oh, they'll fix that in the next one. Nope. That is still there. <laughs> just fair warning to people. <laughs> I do, before we move on from, from Forbidden West, for as you know, much as we lumped it into kind of the more tried and true uh, formula for an open world game, I do want to commend it on its combat. I think that is what makes the Horizon games excel and special. Mm -hmm. Zero Dawn, I think, is a little overlong. I think a lot of the, like, Aloy is the most interesting part of the game, and then everyone else around her is, like, kind of boring. Um, but the combat, I mean, when you're fighting robo dinosaurs uh <laughs> and it, it's not just the enemy design but it's the fact that every fight is kind of tough uh yeah it feels kind of monster hunter in that way and i know people who play it on the hardest difficulty to to make it basically a monster hunter game uh but the fact that it's so more than just like pulling out your bow and arrow and taking out these monsters like if you're really mining the depths of the traps and the throwables and the other you know mm -hmm. abilities you can unlock there's a lot of depth to the horizon combat that uh definitely deserves recognition for sure yeah and lots of strategy which i'm not great at i am a very <laughs> this i'm a very impatient person when it comes to games when i just want to like go and swing a sword <laughs> but no the combat is a ton of fun um and you made a point that like the characters are kind of boring and I felt like that in Zero Dawn. I actually really like the side characters in Forbidden West and I think a lot of it has to do with they've changed the kind of the camera angle of when you're like talking with people and it's kind of like you get the full body emotions. They get mm. to express themselves through body language as well as just like their narrative and I think it's brought a lot to kind of figuring out who characters are um and I don't know I've been really impressed with there's just so many side characters you come across and they're pretty unique that's awesome admittedly yeah I'm way too early in Forbidden West to judge its story mm -hmm. but strangely yeah the consensus I've seen to have read and heard in reviews is Aloy is the l less interesting person this time around that everyone's like oh i love the side characters aloy's too stubborn to ever ask for help uh she is <laughs> <laughs> so i'm definitely interested to dig deeper i do find the lore of the horizon games pretty fascinating they are it's a very unique world and there's still there is no reason that they the monsters are like 
dinosaurs. Yeah. But humans just were like, we're just, we have to make these machines. We're going to make them look like dinosaurs. And I, I love that there's like no explanation for it. It's just no. a thing. Because why not? It, the most maybe human uh, condition. We just want things to look cool. <laughs> yeah. It's very Jurassic Parky. Yes. <laughs> like, why, why don't we make dinosaurs? What, what could happen? Yeah, just because we could, we never stopped to ask if we should. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I guess before any of these big games came out, um, I know we were talking about like backlog titles. Or have any of you gotten to those this year? Brad, I see you've been playing another big open world title that's released this year, Pokemon Legends Arceus. So... Yeah, I, uh, I I just bought Legends Arceus on Sunday. I was a little late to the party, and I unfortunately have not had a chance to play it yet. It's just been a bit bit of a bit of a busy week, but um, yeah, I, I've had my eye on that game. I mean, since before it came out, and uh, you know, everything I've seen since then just looks like the Pokemon game that I always wanted, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've, I've I've never been, you know, a big player of like the mainline titles. I really only played Sapphire before I picking this one up. Um, I mean, I, I had plenty of the spinoffs. I had XD Gale of Darkness and Pokemon Rangers and some of those other, some of those other ones. Yeah, oh, they, they're all near and dear to my heart. But um, and of course, I mean, I watched the anime, and that's 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 more or less my my gateway into the franchise. Um, but uh, yeah, just the idea of this big explorative Pokemon game in a in a in a vibrant three D world really mm -hmm. gets my attention. You know, I had been interested around interested in that when sword and shield was being promoted and then when it came out but I, I i held off and i saw enough criticism of i mean even down to like the pokemon animations right that just broke the immersion of it and you know legends arceus is definitely a step in the right direction um what i'm what i'm interested in with or uh, what i'm interested in with it and then also looking at gen 9 just announced this past weekend with pokemon uh scarlet and violet Side note, I'm very happy that there's a purple Pokemon game now. It's my favorite color. So <laughs> Mine <that's>... too. <laughs> I I and and it's and it's supposed to be based off Spain, so um I I yeah, that's that's gonna be a lot of fun. Um but I'm very curious to see kind of where after Legends Arceus, Violet and Scarlet shake out in terms of that dichotomy between your checklist open world games and your um you know more explorative open world games because you know in their in the initial announcement they actually said that this one's open world unlike legends arceus and a lot of folks just kind of looking at screenshots or videos and being like oh that looks like an open world pokemon game and it did but it was you know it's more monster hunter style zones which is also i mean that's also okay like you know dragon quest 11 one of my favorite games ever is not technically one big open world it's also built like that but still a good game um but you know, I think I think I, I'm trying to I'm 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 just very curious to see how how this new Gen Nine approaches this, right? Because Legends Arceus seems more exploratory, but there's also a lot more to do with the Pokedex now than just you know catch one of every Pokemon. It's like you have to keep catching the Pokemon to keep learning more about them and do all of these other more or less like tasks and missions and sort of things and. You know, that is more checklisty than I think some of the past Pokemon games have been in, in that sense. And I think, though, 
a very you know a more exploratory open world Pokemon game would feel true to nature for the franchise, right? Like getting to go wherever you want, whenever you want, and just you know wander around and find Pokemon. Like yeah, you know that that sounds super appealing to me. But I think you'll love it. I played yeah. it. I di- didn't beat it or finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've ever finished a Pokemon game. I'm like you, like I watched the anime. I loved the anime growing up and I played like, I loved like Pokemon Snap and there was like, mm-hmm. oh, there's another GameCube game. It's like Pokemon TV or something like that. Oh, I never had Pokemon TV that I, I'm, I was looking at that I one on eBay. I'm like, it. this is too much money. I can't buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my favorite games. Like I just, I, yeah, I didn't go the traditional route of most people like played the game, like the other gen generation games. Mm-hmm. Um, Though I think I, I played, like, Pokemon Red, um, and that was it. And then I tried Pokemon Sword, and I played it for a little bit. But like you said, like, a lot of the criticisms, I think I felt the same, and I just really didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. But I do love Pokemon Arceus. Going out into the world and just, like, there's just, like, Pokemon doing their own thing. and That's so cool. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. And you get to ride a Pokemon. Like, I it, know. Oh, it's such a cool feeling. And I'm like, yes, this is what I've wanted in a Pokemon game. It feels real. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it doesn't need to be like a fully open world. Like the zones is completely fine. Yeah. The zones are also really large. So it doesn't. Yeah, they look huge. So yeah, it doesn't ever feel restricting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it's I'm excited for Gen 9. Me too. Yeah, yeah. me too. I think. Arceus and what I assume probably Scarlet and Violet will do is walk that walk the line between kind of these two, you know, if Horizon Forbidden West is on one end of the spectrum and Elden Ring's on the other, these open to now open world Pokemon games seem to walk the line in between in that you are ultimately completing a checklist, the your Pokedex. Uh, but the nature of doing that is more open-ended and um can allow for that thrill of what inspired pokemon in the first place like finding insects in your backyard and that you know it can happen spontaneously and sometimes can be a little scary and sometimes can be really adorable if it's a bidoof so um (laughs) yeah i i'm excited about this new era of pokemon games that we're getting and excited to see you know generation nine already take on um ideas introduced in Arceus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be promising. Caitlin, it's funny that you bring up the whole riding, like getting to actually ride the Pokemon thing because, I mean, everybody wanted to be able to like, you know, <laughs> ride on their back of a Pokemon since they started. I mean, they did it in the anime all the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, Ash did it with Arcanine and Dragonite and Charizard and all these Pokemon over the over the years. Um, I think it's funnier that a Pokemon was riding another Pokemon before trainers were riding Pokemon in the games <laughs> with um, Calyrex from the from the DLC. I, uh, I think that that I, I was joking about that with some friends the other day. I'm like, there's a Pokemon that rides other Pokemon, and I don't know that like this. This is just it, it's technically a form change, which is just confusing to me <laughs> at that point. Like, would a Bidoof on the back of a you know? Wailord be another form of Bidoof or <laughs> <laughs> who knows Pokemon company point. take notes like <laughs> in Arceus it's actually kind of funny because you could make the argument that like this is the game that they wouldn't be riding Pokemon because you you're like in this new world where like they don't know anything about Pokemon like yeah. they 
it's almost like they're an invasion and people are like all terrified of Pokemon, um, except for a select few. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've enjoyed it. I will go back to it after my Elden Ring and Horizon Forbidden West phase passes. Um, I am excited to go back and kind of finish up my Pokédex. Um, but it, as you mentioned, like it's checklisty. Part mm-hmm. of it is like there's so many side missions where it's like, oh, complete the Pokédex of this one Pokémon. You don't have to do them. Yeah. Like there's a lot of them that you're like, I don't need to go <laughs> catch this Pokémon ten times in a row to complete it. I can catch it twice and be good. Yep. Yeah, it's that's it's that freedom of choice of how you how much how much you want to go into something with an open world game that I appreciate versus like, you know, more linear title where you have to do everything. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Well, do we want to keep talking about games we're playing or do we want to <laughs> talk about maybe the reviews? Of Let's games? talk about reviews of all these games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we touched on it earlier and I was holding myself from like talking about it more, but I think a a big conversation that's been happening lately is about the reviews of video games themselves. They're with a bunch of topics. And to start, like, we can talk about Elden Ring, as it's we've mentioned, it's a massive, massive game. And most reviews for this game, or most reviewers had maybe a week at most. I know we saw, like, tons of tweets from reporters who were, like, just did not have time to get to everything. Like, there was our reviews in progress guides are trickling out continue continuously because no one had time to finish this game um for context it took ign's mitchell saltzman 87 hours to beat the game that is crazy (laughs) and to think you have a week to play this game and most of these reviewers are doing it in their spare time not even during their working hours that is exhausting and i really feel for them um so yeah what do you guys feel about like this type of review cycle how should publishers be handling review campaigns for massive titles or even smaller titles like should should all reviews be given like a minimum of two to three weeks in advance at at minimum yeah it's it's tough because games come in so hot these days uh the day one patch, you know, is is a, a staple at this point, it's bringing in performance improvements, maybe even gameplay fixes, bugs, etc. That you, there's the pro con board of giving reviewers copies weeks early, and that you know I, I've seen this in reviews. Uh, I no ex- immediate examples come to mind, but when reviewers get codes, they'll get a list of. These are things we're working on to fix in the day one patch. So if you happen to run into this issue, uh, just know that this will hopefully be fixed on release date. I remember that happened with Dying Light 2. Um, so that's one option for, you know, if you were to go the earlier route, which I think at the end of the day is ideal, especially if you're wanting, because reviews, you know, the old adage, all press is good press. Reviews help advertise the fact that your game is out even if the review isn't completely glowing it's going to help get people talking on podcasts and twitch streams and on media outlets that hey this game is out pay attention to it here's what's good and here's you know what's not so good um so i think ultimately if you want the best possible 
conditions around those reviews, giving more time is ideal. Um, what do you all think? Those are my initial thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you, Sam, on like, um, just the, the difficulty of it with the, the day one patch and, you know, development and refinement being up to the wire. Um, you know, that I think that really is what holds most reviews back or most people back from giving codes out with an ample amount of time to, to, to play a game. Um, you know, the, the counter argument to that would be, well, then, you know, move up your production schedule so that the game's ready to be reviewed a certain number of weeks before launch. But, you know, that that's just not how game development works at this point in 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 the industry and it's not like you have to you know ship a physical copy of a lot of these games anymore i mean a lot of titles are either digital only or really digital first so they don't need to worry about having a finished product ready to you know ship to walmart and have it on shelves at you know 12 midnight the day the game comes out you know when and a lot you know and and a lot of these have online capabilities now that they didn't even a decade ago in the same in the same way um yeah i i i i do think that like a list of what we're like what we're fixing or what's going to what's going to change would definitely help but um it's it's tough i mean i think i think no matter what like there should be more time given to press to get these reviews out, I mean, especially in a, a month like February, it's it, it was so ridiculously crowded with with game releases. I mean, there were enough AAA games that came out in February that eclipsed like entire other years that we've seen. Um, mm-hmm. So when there's that much going on and there's already that little bandwidth, you know, people being responsible for even two reviews for you know, 60, 70 hour games. It's just not, it's just not feasible in a month to expect them to be able to play both of those and hit the embargo time unless they have, you know, codes well in advance. Yeah. I say that there's so many factors into when a game comes out, but I feel like part of our job too as counselors is there are situ, there are times where we can advise and like, Hey, like maybe, publishing your game in February of 2022 is not the best course of action because X, Y, and Z are all coming out and they're all like 100 hour games and so is your game and let's find a good window that is better suited for you so that we can give reviewers like enough time to review. Um, And that doesn't always happen. We can do our best in kind of providing the pros and cons to our clients on like this is what we see is best for the media um for you overall like how are what is your review going to look like if we put it out this time and reviewers only have a week compared to like we push it a couple months and they get a month to play it like your reviews are going to be much better um your score is going to be better uh which is a whole other can of worms when we talk about the score of a game. Um, but yeah, I think everybody wants the best outcome and sometimes the people who are making the game aren't the people who decide when that game goes out and is published. And that is the catch-22. It's Sometimes you can't decide or you could do what you 
can, but ultimately, ultimately, it's in the hand of hands of the board. But yeah, I don't know. So with like the scores of games, we can jump to that. And we were talking about this with Elden Ring as well. That reviews are review scores are highly skewed and inflated. Um, we've seen this with like Elden Ring is one of the is it one of or the highest rated game on Metacritic? I believe an Open Critic, and then open I think critic. it's tied with like GTA Five. You know, the the greatest Ocarina of Time, like right. the greatest games of all time on Metacritic. I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah, so it's it's tied. So the uh, still highest rated game of all time is Ocarina of Time uh, with a 99 okay. on Metacritic. <laughs> Wow. Uh, then tied at a 98 is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2, the original Soul Calibur, GTA 4. And then tied in third place at a 97 is Elden Ring, Super Mario Galaxy 1 and 2, GTA 5, Red Dead Redemption 2, nice. and Breath of the nice. Wild. So yep. in good in good company. Yeah. Yes. It, yeah. And like as someone who really enjoys the game, I want to be like, yeah, well-deserved. Um, another part of me, it's like, okay, but what does this score actually mean when you have all of these outlets, when someone, when they're reviewing a game, like a souls game, they're going to give it to their reporter who is a huge souls fan. So they already love the game before playing it. So their review is, we already know it's going to be positive and highly scored. Um, and I don't know, it's... (laughs) It's a tricky subject because I don't know if I want to be like, well, don't give it to the person who is a Souls fanatic. Give it to the person who's never played and maybe has a little interest. And they're like, you know what? I'll give it a fair shot and I'll write about it. But then your, maybe your score comes out lower. I I want to know your thoughts. Like, should, should we abandon the score altogether? And maybe that will lead to a more fairness in reviews or at least in a wider variety in the types of reviews we get. Um for example, so far I've only out of all the Elden Ring reviews, I've only seen digital trends who actually framed their review in a way that was like what fans and haters of the genre will think of this game, which I loved. And I saw it after I had gotten it when I was like, oh, I wish I had seen more reviews like this because I felt like I got a, a better understanding of the game as someone who's never really played Souls games. Um and I really appreciated that. And I, I wish we could see more. Yeah, this is a conversation I've had for a long time with my with my brother, who we both, you know, pay a lot of attention to game reviews. And I think the first time this came up was when Kingdom Hearts 3 launched in 2019. Um, just that naturally you're going to Kingdom Hearts 3 is not just Kingdom Hearts 3. It's also like the ninth Kingdom Hearts game. Uh, (laughs) So naturally with so much baggage and so much expectations going into the final conclusion of the original arc of games, you're going to give that to your outlet's biggest Kingdom Hearts fan. Um, Not just because they're the one most excited to review it, but also be they're the ones with the most knowledge and context necessary to tackle a review like that. Uh, And so, yeah, it creates this, you know, problem where it makes sense for these people to be the ones talking about the games first because they're the ones most knowledgeable of them. But then it opens up the question for more outsiders, uh, people still interested in the game to know like, well, how do I play into this? Am I actually the target demographic for this? Or is this a nine for fans and maybe 
again, scores are subjective, but is this a nine for fans and maybe a seven for people who don't care about Kingdom Hearts? Like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, I think I don't, I know a lot of people who write reviews are very passionate about whether scores matter or not. Uh, I think they're fine there. I think they're a good barometer for giving you an idea of what the game's quality is. And then if you're really interested in digging in to what makes the game great, good, amazing, then you ideally read the review and digest a lot of opinions on it. That's what I think podcasts are so great for, um, especially to get those perspectives that come from people who aren't as familiar with whatever the subject is. Uh, Brad, what do you think about review scores? You know, Sam, I um, I think there, I think there's value in having a score, right? I think yeah. for your average consumer that is not going to want to take the time to read a bunch of reviews, um, because we live in this like immediacy culture of like I need to know exactly how good this is right now. Um, <laughs> you know, they'll look at either Metacritic or even just like one or two outlets they like, like IGN or GameSpot, or um, you know, then they'll decide from there, like okay, is this a game that I want to play based on the score? I mean, there's some people that that's all they decide on. And there are other folks who only decide based on how good is the marketing. Like, does this look like a game that would be fun? Does the trailer look cool? And maybe they don't even read a review. Um, I will say, like, I like to look at a mix. When I uh, am deciding about a game, I'll I'll look at some scored reviews and... um, you know, personally, like some of my favorite games are only like a six and a half or a seven and a ten, right? Like, you, that, you know, just because a game is not the most polished or regarded as one of the best or most innovative, like it can still be a really fun game that people, you know, can can really gravitate toward. Um, at the same time, I do really like to dig into some more analytical pieces that don't have a score attached to it just to get a sense for um just to get like a different perspective on the game right like you know for elden ring as i was looking at this stuff of course i looked at the scores and saw a ton of tens and that really you know that really caught my attention you know I, it's the first souls game now that i'm really thinking about buying um but I also, you know, I also like content like Game Ranks before you buy videos that really, you know, mm-hmm. they just show a bunch of gameplay. It's someone talking about talking about the game and their impressions of it, and there's not a score attached. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there's there's value in both things to to get the the top line, which I think can be read pretty easily with a score, and then digging in for more if you want it with some of the more, not that reviews aren't thoughtful, but just more like, you know. But without a score attached there, you ha- you kind of have to sit and stick around for the whole 15-minute video or, you know, 3,000-word article to really, really get the, the best sense of it. Um, if, if I may go back to the thought on giving reviews to, uh, or giving, giving review copies to folks who already like these kind of games, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I... Uh, I definitely get that. I mean, from like a PR perspective, it makes sense to want to give a game to someone who has the most knowledge of it and is the yeah. you know gonna gonna be able to, to speak on that well. Um, your your Kingdom Hearts analogy, Sam, is <laughs> fantastic because I mean, you know, there's such, there's the jo- the joke of you have to play like you know you have to be super invested in Kingdom Hearts to really understand anything that happens is 
you know, it it's it's there's a little bit of truth to it. I mean, up until you know the the complete compendium or whatever it's called <laughs> on the on the PS4, like you had to own like six consoles to be able to experience the whole thing. And as someone who only played the games piecemeal over the years, like a couple hours here, a couple hours there, like. I still don't know what's happening and I've been following it since Kingdom Hearts like one and two came out. So, um, you know, there definitely is value in someone who has that level of expertise to say, okay, well this is, you know, this makes sense in this context with these, um, game mechanics. This came in, in this game, this came in, in that game, this is how they implement it here. Um, but there's also value in seeing a review from someone who has no experience. Right. So one of my, personal favorite reviews that i've seen so far of elden ring full disclosure written by a friend of mine um it's his it was his first souls game ever and you know he uh he loved it and you know he went in pretty pretty blind um pretty or pretty unaware of like what that was going to mean aside from just like the 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 rhetoric of this is, you know, Souls games are hard. You're gonna, you're gonna die a lot. Um, and aside from it just being like a really well written review, it gave me a really good perspective as someone who's not ever played a Souls game. You know, it's yeah. uh, that's that's for me. That's what I'm looking for because I'm not a fan of the genre. But I know for fans of the genre, they're gonna want a review from someone who's also a fan of the genre and yeah. have that same level of understanding and appreciation for it. Um, and of course, I'm not going to talk about a review without saying who it was or plugging it. So shout out Keller Gordon to NPR. Um, everyone oh, nice. go check out his Elden Ring review. It is really good. George R. R. Martin shouted it out actually yesterday on his that's blog. That's amazing. So, oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I really love NPR's content. Oh, it's just, so good. Yeah. They are all so good. Yeah. One thing for us on a PR side is, uh, you know, I, I think obviously for an outlet, the cost benefit analysis of, you know, you're most likely going to just also give it to the person who's most knowledgeable because you don't want to pin a review on somebody who's not excited or interested in the game. Mm -hmm. uh, but it does open up an interesting angle for us on, you know, game release campaigns. And that if you're really confident in the fact that your game, especially if it's, you know, an entry in a very popular genre or especially franchise, and you feel this is an entry point for new people, that creates a... A coverage angle that you can hey like we think this game is not just you know a fighting game for example we think this fighting game is not just going to be great for your fighting game editor but we think your i don't know somebody else at your outlet who's famously anti-fighting games like <laughs> will like this game and uh then that creates you know an a, a avenue like this digital trends article that's like here's what elden rings like for a FromSoft expert and here's what it's like for somebody new to it i always enjoyed a different medium but av club when game of thrones was in its heyday did yeah. book review episodes so like a book expert would review the latest episode of the show and then a non-book like somebody who'd never read the books would review the episodes and i, f I would read both i found that so interesting <laughs> and i haven't That's even so read the game of thrones book so <laughs> i think it's an interesting idea when it when it works yeah for sure i like it well I guess another thing, do you guys look at review scores? I know, Brad, you mentioned like you saw a lot of the tens. You're like, oh, maybe. But is that something you gen generally pay attention to? It, I mean, like. It is. I mean, 
you know, like like I I I I touched on before, like it is a really convenient top line, and with how many games come out, like it's hard to decide what I'm going to spend my time and my money on. Um, more so the time than the money. I, I I'm 24. I can't save the best spending habits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, when yeah, when there's so much coming out, you know, am I gonna am I gonna on first impression, am I gonna look more into a game that is getting tens, or am I gonna look more into a game that's getting sixes and sevens and you know i'm also the kind of guy that loves looking at hidden gems for past generations and you know digging that stuff up so i'm always on the lookout for games that are going to be critically underrated but i still have to prioritize what i'm going to play at the end of the day and that's that's, that is a that is it's it's an easy way to do that i i one game that I was pretty excited about, and I, you know, I I know it's been dunked on a million times, so you know, hate to hate to bone pile here, but Ball in Wonderland looked fantastic <laughs> in the first couple of trailers, and then when I started I started looking at review scores, and I was just like, oh no. Um, <laughs> though I actually, I'm trying to remember the timeline. I I know they had a demo pre-launch that that went out, and I played it on a train ride, and I probably put. 15 minutes in it i'm just like i I, I can't anymore this is (laughs) unfortunate but it's just not not for me um but you know say i hadn't played a demo of that then get it go you know going on to ign and seeing that i got like a three or a four i would have been like maybe not (laughs) yeah i i ask because i generally try to avoid scores Mm, interesting i'm i'm more of a I want to look at the trailer and if the trailer hooks me and I'm interested, then I'm like, okay, I want to try it. Um, but I wish more games had demos, like public demos for players to try. Cause it just, yeah. Then I wouldn't have to really worry about the scores or reviews. Um, just cause I, like we said, they're all subjective. Um, I know like one game that I finally bought because the scores were also good. Whereas persona five, uh, Royale or Royal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Royale, I, think, I did. Yeah. I didn't like it. Interesting. And I should have known cause it's not really the genre that I normally play, but I don't know. I just, everybody was raving about it and it had great scores and I had friends who would like send me reviews and I'm like, like, look, like you like this, you'd probably like, you're going to love it. And I didn't. And I really was influenced by the score. Um, and I should have known. I prob- I should have just like maybe read more reviews or tried to read a review from someone who maybe hadn't played the Persona games before, and because I really didn't know what I was getting into. So part of that's on me, but yeah, generally I just I kind of like to just look at trailers, and if something interests me, I jot it down, and I'm like, okay, I will pick that up when it comes out, and reviews be damned. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. I uh. You make a really good point, Caitlin, about demos. I mean, I, I, there, there are games I never would have never known about if I hadn't just been browsing the Nintendo eShop demo list. Yeah, and there's some of some of my favorite games on the console, and they have like one review on Metacritic, so I wouldn't even get an aggregate if I tried. Um, so, yeah, game demos absolutely make a big difference. And total, total tangent. That's one reason why I'm looking forward to in-person events coming back because I can actually try games again, and mm-hmm. you know. There, I, there are a ton of games that I don't think I would have ever known about or purchased if I hadn't tried them at PAX or, you know, seen seen a premiere in some showcase or another. So, 
That's a good point. Are you, are you going to PAX East? I haven't decided. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, it's, it's maybe. That's a, it's a firm maybe. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I will be there for one of our clients, yep. Alchemy. Um, so I'm hoping more people can show up so I can see people in person. Yeah. Finally. That'd be nice. Yeah. And to play games, but you and know, to also to like see people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the best of both worlds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, I guess to kind of wrap up our review discussion, is there any place that you guys really like to go to for reviews? Any favorite websites, podcasts, YouTube, YouTubers or streamers that you generally like really rely on or trust the reviews? Um, I didn't like chime in really on the review score thing. And I'm with Brad as like, it's more or less monetary decisions, just time decisions. And yeah. my time decisions usually come to a certain like barometer of discussion, like one nine out of 10 or even a 10 out of 10 usually isn't even enough. It's less so if a bunch of people are saying a game's good versus one game person saying a game's amazing, uh, for some reason that's like more likely to get me to check it out. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't want to miss out on this. Um, so like I find the, I'm going to recommend the besties. It's a podcast hosted by the the McElroy brothers and some folks from Polygon. Mm. I, this podcast ties very nicely into this conversation because it's, they describe it as a video game book club every week. Uh, so the hosts all play whatever game they're talking about that week. So it leads to a really nice panel of some people who sometimes really love a game and some people who it's not for at all. And so usually at least one person checks the box of I'm into this franchise genre and at least one person checks the box of I am not familiar with this at all. And sometimes maybe they like it and sometimes they won't, but it gives me a good barometer of like, okay, is this something that anybody can get into? If all four of these people on this panel like it, then probably I will too. You've just convinced me that I just went and subscribed. It's it's also one of the <laughs> funniest gaming podcasts too. I do love the McElroy brothers. Yeah, they're hilarious. Um, what about y'all? Oh, just on the note of Polygon, they don't score their reviews, and I find their reviews always very well-worded, insightful. Um, like, uh, Nobody Saves the World, they convinced me to check that out on Game Pass. Yeah. Returnal, I think, was one of their best reviews from last year. Uh, so I like going and reading all of their pieces. That was actually the one that I also, I was like, oh, I want to shout out to Polygon because I just, yeah, everything you just said. How about you, Brad? I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I shouted out a couple already. Like I, I'll, I'll look at NPR, you know, they don't cover a ton of games mm-hmm. They're It's, it's less frequent, but it's always the big stuff. And it's, it's, it's nice to get that kind of perspective. I also just, I'm always a fan of mainstream coverage for video games. Like it's, it's such a it's a cultural pillar like talk about it more um <laughs> and then yeah i mean video content like the before you buy from game ranks um i'm a sucker for a video game donkey when he puts out a serious <laughs> review i'm like okay yes. now now i really gotta pay attention <laughs> it's not just a meme video but honestly the meme videos are you know they're they're good too like you know i i, I sometimes will play a game just because you know this thing and it was funny but it's also still actually a good game like it mm-hmm. just didn't necessarily get the the serious mario odyssey 10 out of 10 style <laughs> review 
his um most recent one was the horizon forbidden west i saw that and it was one. hilarious and i was and i was like yep i agree with that like agree with it it's hilarious but yeah it's he meshes the like criticisms with mm-hmm. humor in a way that makes it like not so harsh but yeah. still like you kind of get an idea of like okay maybe what are some of the pitfalls but how can you also find enjoyment in them because they're sometimes very funny yeah absolutely um one other one other outlet that I, I I do check out a lot is Nintendo Life, um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, I'm I'm mainly a Nintendo console player, and they review games that I don't see any other like mainstream game outlet review. Yeah, they, they just there's just so many like eShop only titles that they'll pick up and you know give a fair shake, and you know that's it's just a different way to discover games that I wouldn't otherwise. So. Yeah. Big big shout out to them. I appreciate appreciate that. So great. Well, anything else you guys want to talk about? Or is I think that covered a lot of stuff. Yeah, that was a good good new release and review discussion. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both for joining me and thanks everybody for listening. This was a great discussion and I'm looking forward to the next one. You can find us on social media at Realtime Strats and email us any questions at podcast at triplepointvr.com. Thank you all for listening. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.